Good morning. A couple of quick announcements. A uh, reminder that uh, uh, today uh, will be our last class until while Bill is out on summer vacation, and uh, we will resume class this Sunday, August 8th. And as part of that, uh, August 8th, we will do our Day of the Lord series and, uh, and observe the Lord's Supper. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, also, uh, something a little challenging here, but uh, uh, we need to make you aware of it. Um, looks like we're going to be having some administrative changes here taking place at Prairie View Christian Church. So uh, please keep that in your prayers. And uh, this is your church, and we continue to move forward as normal. So please keep that in your prayers. This is an expository type teaching where we go through the different books of the Bible, verse by verse, and we are currently in the study of Romans. Each Sunday we pass out our grace and actions, which contain a summary of the prior week's teaching, as well as class notes for you to follow along this morning. So now, before we begin our Bible study, we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ need to be sure we are in fellowship with the Father. We do this by taking a moment of silence, allowing time for each one of us to privately confess any known sins to the Father. As stated in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for this day that we may assemble together as fellow members of the body of Christ and study your almighty word. We give thanks for every individual you have led to your service here this morning, those among us in the chapel, those listening on the internet, and for anyone who may hear this message at a later date. Thank you for our current study of Romans. We pray this service draws us closer to you and that you open our hearts and minds that we may hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. May we take what we have learned and apply it to our daily lives. Challenge us to extract our spiritual nourishment and to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. We ask that you continue to bring us wisdom and give us strength and perseverance in our trials. Help each one of us to learn in the liberty of your grace, freeing us from legalism, works, and fears attacking us daily, always keeping you in thought and prayer, bringing glory to you. Thank you for providing us with every spiritual blessing. We thank you for the precious gift of your Son, providing us forgiveness of our sins and our soul great salvation. We also give thanks for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, serving as our mentor and teacher and bringing your word alive for us. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and answered prayers of this ministry. Thank you for the provisions of this building in which to meet on a consistent basis. We also give thanks for the individuals you have raised up in their positive volition to this doctrinal ministry, giving of their time, talent, and treasure. We ask that you remove any barriers and to continue to open doors of opportunity for this ministry to proclaim the gospel message to the world. Thank you for the gift of our pastor in his faithfulness and dedication to teaching your word, Supply him his spiritual and temporal needs. Grant him encouragement through your word. Offer him protection from the attacks of the enemy. And give grace to him that your message is spoken with accuracy and clarity, delivering your full counsel. We thank you for the blessings and privileges we have in the United States. We pray for our leaders, our president, vice president, and cabinet members. Give them wisdom, moral courage, and conviction in leading this nation according to your will. <laughs> thank you for the men and women in military service. Give them each courage, strength, and knowledge to fight the battle abroad keeping our nation safe, knowing you are in full control. Thank you, for those, thank you for those providing local services, such as law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, and others who commit to our safety and security here at home. We pray for those who may be experiencing trials and tribulations at this time, whether it's health, financial, or anything that may be troubling. Lead them to your word for comfort and to continue forward in faith. Father, allow each one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. Let us be thoughtful and considerate and do nothing to disturb or distract those who are ser serious students of the word of God. Father, we thank you for who and what you are. May honor and glory be yours. We offer you these prayers upon the merits of Christ, aware of being in union with him and seated at your right hand. In his glorious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? <laughs> Scott comes dancing in. <laughs> I thought you were Pentecostal for a second. My Pentecostal friends do that. <laughs> All right. You ready, guys? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved 
school you guys can go all right uh, good morning to all of you could you turn your bibles to the book of romans go to romans chapter 15 verse 30 please book of romans romans chapter 15 verse 30 uh we have uh we'll be done with the book of romans at the end of august and then we're going to do the book of jonah and of uh of course jonah will be a lot easier book study than the book of romans and the book of Jonah is like four chapters long, so it shouldn't be too much time to knock that, that book off. I think we're going to learn a lot about that. That'll be at the, uh, in September when we start that. So you should be at Romans chapter 15, uh, this, verse 30. In Romans 15, 30, this past week, we've noted that Paul, he requested that the Romans pray for him on the basis of their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit. As we've been ringing out, and we've seen this many times, when you see in your Bibles, brethren, it means we're spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. The minute we believed in Christ as Savior, we all entered into God's family. And that family, is, that family, the God's family, is governed by love. And that love is what motivates us to pray for each other. Intercessory prayer is an important part of our walk with God. And we move, uh, God moves the world and governs the world through the prayers of his saints. So we are all, uh, Paul's saying, I want you to pray for me because I'm your spiritual brother. And we saw also, he in this passage requested that the Romans fight together with him by means of their prayers in the presence of the Father on his behalf. Why? Because we all, as we presented in Ephesians six twelve, we are under attack. The kingdom of darkness seeks to attack us. And so we need to pray for, uh, with each other, to fight together in prayer for each other as, spiritual, as a spiritual combat unit. This is what Paul has uh, taught us. And then we saw in verse 31, Paul requested that he be rescued from those who were disobedient to the gospel in Judea. Many believers, in, uh, many Jews in, the old uh, in Israel at that time had rejected Jesus. As we studied in the book of Romans, the majority of the nation of Jews had rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. Only a small remnant believed. And so that, that, uh, those Jews, they were antagonistic to the Apostle Paul. And as we'll see uh, today, and we've seen in the past, they attempted to kill him. And so God, he needed uh, the, the Roman believers to pray for him so that he would be delivered from this, this, uh, these disobedient Jews who sought to assassinate him. Now you might say, why couldn't God, does God have to, why does God have to use the Roman believers' prayers to deliver Paul? Of course he could have delivered Paul without those prayers. But God is so, God is so gracious and he does it for our benefit. He wants us to be involved in the deliverance by interceding for somebody. So if you know somebody in your life, a fellow believer that is going through a tough time and adversity, you're to pray for them. And God will use you, your prayers to deliver them from whatever adversity they have. God is, uh, wants us to pray for others because it's for our benefit. It develops our love for each other and our faith in Him. And when we see these prayers answered, then we get more confidence in God. So Paul, he prayed in verse 31, he requested the Roman believers that he, re he requested that they would, he would be rescued from those who were disobedient to the gospel in Judea. And he, he, was not, uh, he wasn't gullible. He knew he was going into trouble when he would deliver this gift to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. He knew that when he walked into that city, he was going to be under attack. He was going to be an attempted assassination attempt. He knew he was in danger. But he also knew that God is sovereign. 
the song said, Be still and know He is God. God is in control of history through His Son, Jesus Christ. Everything that has ever happened and is happening now that we go through has all been figured into God's plan. So that's why it says, Be still and know that He is God. Now, in verse 32, which we're going to see also this morning, Paul reveals another objective he wants the Romans to pray for. Namely, that by the Father's will, he would enter into the company of the Roman believers with joy and find refreshing rest. He had a job to do. He had to deliver this gift to the poor Jewish saints. He had to deliver it, and he had to go through a tough time. But once he did that, he would find joy and rest in the company of the Roman believers. It was more important that he go to, to, to Jerusalem. And then once that was accomplished, that job, then he could go to Rome and then ultimately to Spain by way of Rome. But first things first, he had to do the work of the service. He had to do the will of the Father in relation to those poor Jewish saints. Remember, that gift that he was going to deliver came from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. He started. He church planted. He evangelized these people. He gave them the gospel. He gave them the word of God, to so their spiritual food, so they grow up. And this gift that they were going to give to the poor Jewish believers was a token of the Gentile believers' love and appreciation for the Jewish believers and a symbol and a token of their not only love but unity. Now, you might be saying, well, why, was there, why should this be a, a big deal? Well, remember, the church started off being Jewish, first of all. And then God, when the Jews rejected the, uh, the gospel, he went to the Gentiles, and that's, the Gentile is someone who's not Jewish racially. So the Gentiles came to Christ, and the Jewish believers were very suspicious of Gentile believers because they didn't grow up in the law like the Jewish believers. And so it was very difficult for the Jewish believers to accept the Gentile believers. And so Paul said getting this gift to them would show the Jewish believers that the Gentile believers love them. It would, it would be a bond. It, when you give somebody a gift, where, where it is you give somebody a gift, you are, you, you are creating a bond between you and yourself, or that, you and the person that you give this gift to. That is what Paul was trying to do, trying to join the hands of the Jewish and Gentile believers together. Look at Romans 15.30, please. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, there it is, we're spiritual brothers and sisters. We have a common relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of our denomination, regardless of we're Pentecostal, regardless of whether we're a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a born-again Catholic, non-denominational, we are all in God's family. The, the, the denominations are something that men brought on. God didn't do that. Men did that. So he says, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me. That means fight together with me in the original. F- strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now notice, Paul is writing requesting prayer. You know, sometimes we, we don't ask people to pray for us. And, I, and I've known in the past that people, and even myself at times, wouldn't ask people to pray for me. That's a pride thing. Okay? We need to get over that. It's okay, and you're not less of a Christian because you uh, ask for prayer. It doesn't mean you're not applying the Word of God. It doesn't mean that you're uh, not uh, trusting God. No, you're actually showing you trust God when you ask people to pray for you. So when you ask them to pray for you, that's, it's actually a sign of humility and dependence upon God. So he says uh, in verse 31, and here's the content of his... his uh, or actually, if you look at verse 30 again, I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And then he says what his reasons, why he wants them to pray. Verse 31, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. That's the people who rejected the gospel that were seeking to kill Paul. We'll see that today. And that my service for Jerusalem, that gift he was going to bring from the Gentile Christians in Macedonia and Achaia to the Jewish Christians, that my service for Jerusalem, the believers there, may prove acceptable to the saints in that city, so that I may come to you in joy, speaking of the Roman believers, by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, it's interesting. He said, by the will of God I get to you. Remember, God's will... There's a place that God wants us to be. It's called the geographical will of God. And in my, in my, on my own personal walk, the geographical will of God for Bill Wenstrom is Iowa. And geographical will of God for you is Iowa, because you're here. And Paul knew that the geographical will of God for him was not going to be Rome until he delivered this gift. 
God was in control of his life. The Holy Spirit was guiding and directing him. So he says in verse 33, Now the God of peace, God who produces peace in us, if we trust in his word, he'll give us that peace. It says in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. Hold your place. Look at Philippians chapter 4, please. Let me show you something. Philippians chapter 4. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Now listen, now the Philippians who Paul was writing to here, they were going through persecution. Their lives were being threatened. They were going through turmoil as a church and as individuals. Now look what he says to them. Now put yourself, pretend, and God the Holy, don't pretend, God the Holy Spirit's talking to all of us here. And all Christians, this is his message to all of us. Look what he says in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So what are these things that anxious that are bothering you? Give them to God. He knows them. But look what he says. If you do that, here's the result in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a woman in our church who knows a woman who's dying of cancer. And she is actually evangelizing, bringing comfort to people who are ministering to her and serving her as nurses and doctors. And she's the one who's dying. She knows where she's going and she's in comfort. And so she's not, she casts all her anxieties upon the Lord and is not anxious about dying. She knows that she's going to be the, with the Lord. She knows she's a believer and she knows that when she dies, she's absent from the body face to face with the Lord. So she is a perfect example of someone that has trusted God and is anxious about nothing. And she has the peace of God. And physical death is the greatest adversity we will all face, people. And God is just preparing us for that moment. And so we need to practice because when, we come, when it comes time to our death, we want to be ready for that moment so when we do die, we can go right into the presence of Jesus and we say, and smiling all the way, I trusted you, Jesus. Yeah, there you are. Remember that. Now go back, to, go back to Romans 15, please. Look at verse 31. Romans 15, 31. Is that an amen? Romans 15, Romans 15, 31. Paul says, that I might, Romans 15, 31, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Now that verse is, a call, is called a purpose clause. Paul's giving two reasons in this verse why he's requesting that the Romans intercede in prayer on his behalf. Paul's purpose for appealing to these Roman believers is to fight together with him by means of their prayers on behalf of him so that he might be rescued from those Jews who were in Judea who disobeyed the gospel, rejected Jesus Christ the Savior. And then he presents an additional request that they would fight together with him by means of their prayers on his behalf so that his service for those poor Jewish believers and delivering that contribution from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia would be acceptable to these, these people. Why is, that a, why is that important? Because there was a chance that the Jewish believers there might not accept that gift. Now when he says, I may be rescued, that refers to God the Father delivering Paul from physical harm and death at the hands of the unsaved Jews in Judea who threatened his life. And it's a good thing because he requested this because they did try to kill him. The, the Jewish mob did try to kill him. In fact, in Acts chapter 21, verses 21 through 36, there was a riot in the city of Jerusalem over one man, Paul, because they accused him, accused him falsely of bringing a Gentile into the Jewish section of the temple. And, that, and they already had the suspicions about Paul. They thought Paul was a traitor because he followed Jesus. And he, thought, and he was teaching that you're not saved by keeping the law, by keeping by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So they mistrusted Paul. So here he is. And remember, everybody in the Jewish temple was not a believer. There were many unbelievers who were Jewish going to the temple to worship 
Yahweh. And so we see that Paul goes into that temple to worship God. He knew the God he was worshiping was Yahweh was Jesus Christ. But they were suspicious of Paul. So they were ready to go after him. And, and I want you to turn to this chat, uh, the book of Acts. If you could go now, hold your place. Go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 21. I might change that, but go to, first of all, Acts 21. It's right after, right before Romans, please. Yeah, Acts chapter 21. Look at verse 15, please. Acts 21, 15. Acts chapter 21, verse 15. Paul's at Jerusalem. He, he uh, came in from uh, Achaia in uh, Macedonia. He made this long voyage down through the Mediterranean Sea. He right below, he, on to his left as he went through, he went through Crete, right by Crete. And then he landed in a city called Tyre, which was like a bit, the New York City of the ancient world. Big uh, seaport town, commerce. And now he's making his way down. He's going to make his way down uh, into Jerusalem. But look at it says in, in Acts 21, 15. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Now, remember, he has this gift from the, the, that he's talking about from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. He's bringing this with me. He has an entourage helping. He's got money with him. He's got materials, maybe even probably clothing to help these people. Verse 16, And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us, Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with him uh, whom we were to lodge. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present, the apostles. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. But notice verse 17, they received him gladly. Remember Paul said that my gift, if, uh, my gift to the, the service, to the poor Jerusalem saints in Jerusalem, would be acceptable. They accepted him. Look at verse 17. After he arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. So the Roman believers, when Paul asked them to pray that this would take place, then they would accept his gift and accept him and receive him. That prayer was being answered there. Very important that we look at our prayer life. I do it all the time, and I hope you do it too. Look at all, go back in your life, and think about all the times that God has answered your prayers. Think of all the things you've gone through in your life. And think about how many times that God delivered you. Amazing. We, you know, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Who brought you through that? Who brought, brought us through that? God. God will take us through everything. We just need to hang on Him tightly and we'll be okay. So they received Him. The prayer was answered. Now He says in verse 19, and after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands which are among the Jews of those who have believed, they are still zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you were teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. A lie. Telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this, that we will tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you, you yourself walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed in Christ, we wrote, having decided that we, he, we, uh, they should, the Gentiles, abstain from meat, sacrifice the idols, and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Now look what happens in this, this next section now, beginning in verse 27. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing Paul in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. And crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man. This is one guy, Paul. Because he's preaching the gospel and evangelizing the Gentiles and preaching Jesus. They're coming to get him. And this is what they've done throughout history. Look at the Old Testament. They persecuted the prophets. They killed these guys. The apostles were killed except John. Jesus was killed. Look at it. It goes on to say, 
and crying out, verse 28, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people, the Jews. And the law in this place, and besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, a Gentile, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul brought him into the temple. There was a section for the Gentiles to worship if they wanted to, but the rest of it, the temple was for Jews only. Verse 30, then all the city. Jerusalem is a tiny city, really. And the whole city was in an uproar. Then all the city was provoked. And the people rushed together. It's a mob. And, and Paul's in danger. His life is about to be taken. He's going to be murdered. Remember Paul said to the Romans, pray that I be delivered from the disobedient in Jerusalem. Watch what happens. God answers that prayer. And look at it, it says in verse, uh, thir verse 30, Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. I was just wondering if, I, w I bet you, I wonder what Paul was thinking of. Well, God's going to answer this prayer. I bet you he was totally relaxed through this whole thing, knowing that God was going to answer the prayers he had made, that he'd be delivered. Look at verse 31. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. The Romans were in control of Jerusalem at that time. So they hear about this, and God's going to use the Roman military to save Paul. Then it says in verse 32, And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. It's like this. They're uh, pounding on Paul with sticks and beating him. And all of a sudden, it's like when your mother came in the room and you were beating up your little brother or something. Well, I had little brothers. You're beating him up. And then your mother or father walked in the room and you go, huh, how are you doing? That's exactly what was going on. Then it says, uh, it says also, it says in verse 33, then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, Paul. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. So notice, God used the Roman military to save him. Now listen to me, people. When God answers prayer, don't put God in a box. God can answer prayers in ways that you and I would never dream of. Okay? God's ways are above our ways. God will answer prayers. He used an unbeliever to save Paul. This Roman soldier was a Gentile. He was a heathen. He didn't know about Jesus Christ. He might have heard about him, but he was certainly no believer. He was just doing his job, trying to stop a riot in the city, which was common back then, because there was always the Jews were always rebelling against the Romans. And so here's, here's God using an unbeliever to save him. He used a heathen government, a godless government, to save Paul. What does that tell us? Who's in control? God is. God's in control. Now go back to Romans, please. Go back to Romans. 15, verse 30. So we see in that passage we just read, it records Paul being rescued from the mob by the Roman military and then it, he presents his defense to the mob later on. We didn't read that part. Now, remember something. Paul was, because Paul, they considered Paul a traitor in the Jewish nation. Now listen, now think about this. Paul loved his country so much. He would die for his country. Yet his countrymen didn't accept Paul because they considered him a traitor. They considered him, by going to Jesus, he was rejecting the law, as we saw in Acts. They accused him of that. That wasn't the case. So he, imagine the irony. The people he loved hated him. So he was, what, what, was he, what happened was, is that Paul, Paul was an individual who, who prayed for these people, prayed for them, but this hostility, it, it dogged him everywhere he went. That must have been very difficult for Paul because this hostility is well, well documented throughout the book of Acts. Throughout his whole ministry, these people, these Jewish unbelievers, attacked him wherever he goes. He'd go a city, he would, uh, turn, he would go to a city, he would teach the gospel, and then the, uh, the uh, Judaizers would come in, these unbelieving Jews, Jews, and they would attack Paul. So he was dogged by this all the time. Now, if you look at Romans 15.30, uh, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, 
and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. When it says from those who are disobedient, that describes the unbelief of the Jews in Israel in the first century, which, and which unbelief was manifested in itself in the rejection of Jesus Christ. Here's another irony. You talk about Paul loving his country and his country rejecting him. Jesus Christ was rejected by his countrymen. He came for them. What an irony there. Hold your place. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 1. You got Romans, back up a little bit. You got Acts, then you got John. Look at John 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. Look at verse 1. So, remember Paul says he wanted to be delivered from the disobedient Judea? That's the Jewish unbelievers. They rejected Jesus as Messiah. Now, here's the irony. Jesus, his own Jewish countrymen, rejected him. Look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into existence through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that, he, that has come into being. In him, Jesus Christ, the Word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, John. Jesus was, of course. But he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through Jesus Christ, the Word, and the world did not know him. Imagine that. God creates everything, and then he comes into the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and they don't recognize him. Look at it says in verse 11. And he came to his own, the Jews, and those who were his own did not receive him. What a great, what an irony. Paul knew what that was like. The people that he came to, to love and serve, they had rejected him, he says. He came to his own, the Jews, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he says, like Paul, like you and I, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Go back to Romans 15, 30, please. Romans 15.30 Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Now the second request that appears there in verse 32, it pertains to Paul's service on behalf of the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem, being acceptable to the Jewish saints in that city. Now and when he says, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, is an additional purpose for Paul appealing to the Romans to fight together with him by means of their prayers. Now notice something. If you notice what's going on, when you pray, how do you pray? Do you, do you have a list? You should have a prayer list. If you, when you pray to God, you've got to pray for specific things. Paul's praying for specific things here. That my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. A couple of things. You've got to be specific with God. Like if you're praying for somebody, if I pray for one of you guys, and I know something you're going through, I pray for that. Even if I don't know what it is, I pray for specific things anyways. But if there's something I know about, like a health issue, I pray specifically for that health issue. Or anything I might observe, I pray for that. Specific thing. Name it what it is to God. Don't be, we, you know, when I was a young kid, and I was in a church that was not teaching the Bible, I would mindlessly pray like the Lord's Prayer, they call it, my, our Father, what? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. But was I thinking? What was I praying for? You've got to be specific. God wants us to be specific. Now, also, another thing, it says that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Do you want success in something? Pray. Success in anything? You want success for yourself? Success spiritually? Success for your church? Success for your country? In your job? Pray for it. Success in your marriage? Pray. And, you know, and when you pray, you've got to have faith, people. You've got to trust God because God doesn't like us praying and we don't believe he's going to come through for us. Hold your place again. I told you it would go around here. But look at James chapter 1. Look at this. Go to James chapter 1.
Look at James chapter 1. We got to pray specifically to God what our needs are or the needs of others and then believe that God will come through for us. Look at James 1.1. 1, 1. It's after Hebrews. It's toward the end of the Bible. James 1.1. 1, 1. God is honored by our faith. If we don't trust him, he doesn't like that. Remember it says in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you want to please God? I know I do. I know you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You want to, anybody who's a Christian, I don't know of any Christian who does not want to please God. I know every Christian I've ever known, I don't think there's another, any Christian that doesn't want to please, they all want to please God. In their heart of hearts, they want to please God. How do I know that? Because every Christian has the Spirit, and the Spirit puts that desire in us. Some it's stronger than others, but it's there. Faith is what pleased God. Look at James 1.1. 1, 1. James. Uh, this is Jesus' half-brother. Remember, Jesus didn't have a human father. This was Joseph and Mary had other sons, and James is his half-brother. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who were dispersed abroad. Greetings. Consider it... I love this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Thank God for your adversity. Rejoice in it because there's a reason. Knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith produces endurance, character. God's not going to want to make our life a highway. He wants to develop character in his kids. And that means we have to learn get our faith tested, and then we grow. It's, you go, it's, it's like in school or athletics. You train, and then you, get, you, you train, you train, and then you get in the game. You, uh, when you, when you get taught in school, and then the teacher gives you a test. And you've got to go through, you've got to do different tests. God's like that with his children. Then he says in verse 11, uh, 4, and let endurance, let endurance have its perfect result. Submit to God, he's saying, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But now listen, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God. If you feel like you don't have enough wisdom, the wisdom of God, pray. He'll give it to you. Do you believe he'll give it to you? He'll give it to you. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives, God does. He gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith. Don't miss that. He must ask in faith. Without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You're in James? Look at the very book before it. Hebrews 11. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 1. Hebrews 11.1 1. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith, what is faith? Is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Don't be discouraged by outward circumstances. Who's in charge, right? Faith says God's in charge. Verse 2, for by it, the men of old, like the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Ruth, which we're going to study in the future, Ruth, they gained the approval of God. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. We didn't see it happen. We have to trust that God, what God told us. So what is seen was not made out of things which are, are visible. By faith, remember we studied that in Genesis, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts through faith. And though he is dead, but he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. What is God? Sovereign. God is omnipotent. The God who created the entire world. God who created the entire world. He is your God. God is eternal life. He's everywhere present. He's omniscient. He is also love. That's your God. 
He is faithful. He will come through for us. So he says in verse 6, And without faith that it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you'd like, there's a room right in the back there. If it has a speaker on it too. So you don't have, so you don't have to miss the message. Now, go back to Romans. Go back to Romans 15.30, please. Romans 15.30 Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I might be rescued from those who were disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Now, the uh, first purpose for Paul desiring the intercessory prayers of the Roman believers was so that he might be rescued from those Jews in Judea who were disobedient to the gospel. So when Paul prayed that I would be... uh, Delivered from these disobedient Jews. And when the Romans prayed, they prayed how? With faith. That's why Paul got delivered. Because they had faith when they prayed. Remember, don't expect to get the answered prayer if you doubt God. Because God's insulted. Hey, God has saved you. Listen to me. God saved you and I when we were sinners and his enemies. Now that we're in his family, don't you you think he's going to freely give you all things? Don't you think he's with you? Or do you think he's abandoned you? He's going to be with you no step. And if you think that you failed, that God's going to abandon you, think again. God never abandons us when we fail. People, you know, that's the way it is. God is unconditional love. He loves us unconditionally. Your kids, if you're, I don't know of any mother, I know there are mothers out there, who would never give up their kids if their kid, let's say, committed murder. I've seen on television, a guy commits murder, and where, who's there? The mother. The mother, no matter what, that's her baby. And he, yeah, he committed murder. And he is, that's terrible. And I'm in, I'm, I can't believe he did it. And I'm, I'm upset. But I'm sticking by my kid right to the very end. That's how God looks at us. More so, he loves us unconditionally. Even if we fail, he loves us unconditionally. Now, when it says, my service, when Paul talks about his service, that refers to Paul's service, again, on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and delivering that contribution from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. When he says for Jerusalem, he's not talking about the city itself. He's talking about the people in the city, in particular, the believers in that city. Not the unbelievers, but the believing Jews in that city. And that uh, phrase, for Jerusalem, indicates that Paul's requesting that the Roman believers pray that his ministry on behalf of the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would be acceptable to the Jewish saints in that city. Now why, ask yourself a question, why are these Jewish saints poor? Well, when they believed in Jesus, you were kicked out of the synagogue. Remember, if you read the Gospels, when Jesus, the, the Jewish leaders, attempted to assassinate him, anybody, they threatened everybody. If you believe in him, you will be kicked out of the synagogue. What's that? What's so what? Today, we, we wouldn't think anything of that today. But you know what? Back then, as a Jew in the first century in Jerusalem, if they kicked you out of the synagogue, as a Jewish man, your business was gone. You'd have to move. You'd lost everything. No one would do business with you. They would see to it. They would cut you off from Jewish society. If you were, if your kid, your, your daughter, or your your uh, son, they wouldn't matter. Your daughter or son, they would. You would consider it anathema. So they became destitute for following Jesus. It cost them something to follow Jesus. And let me tell you something. If you haven't found out something. It costs us something to follow Jesus. It is very painful to follow Jesus sometimes. Remember Jesus said, deny self and take up your cross daily. Through many trials and tribulations, Paul says, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's, it, it's tough to follow Jesus. It's very difficult. I think, I don't think, I think everyone here at some point has said, this is tough to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy to follow him. He said, I will be with you to the end of the world. But he didn't say it was going to be easy. He said, I will be with you to the end of the world. In fact, I will be with you forever. Now, remember I told you that the Jews 
Paul was re- when he asked the Romans to pray for him that this gift would be accepted, the Jews, Jewish Christians in that city were suspicious of Paul. There was a danger that they would think that Paul's trying to bribe them and get on their good side. There's a man named Kenneth Wiest, and he makes the following comment about this passage we've been studying this morning in Romans. He writes the following. It's a little bit of a quote. He says, The reason for Paul's apprehension of what he might encounter in Jerusalem is made clear in Denny's note. Denny is a commentator on Romans. He says, It was not the unbelieving Jews only who hated Paul. To them he was an apostate who disappointed all their hopes. But even Christian Jews, it says, in many cases regarded him as false to the nation's prerogative and especially to the law. There was a real danger, we says, that the contribution he brought from the Gentile churches might not be graciously accepted, even accepted at all. It might be regarded as a bribe in return for which Paul's opposition to the law would be condoned and the equal standing of his upstart churches in the kingdom of God acknowledged. And then he closes by saying this, it was by no means certain that this gift would be taken as it was, a pledge of brotherly love. And God alone could dispose the saints to take it as simply as it was offered, end of quote. Success of this mission to, to the Jewish saints was dependent upon God. Pray for this to be accepted. Success in life is based upon God. Not you or my physical or my talents or it, it, that has nothing to do with it. God gives us success. You might be the most, ta- I've known people who are most talented people and they have no success because God has not blessed them with the success. I've seen people who have less, much less talent and much less ability and they're much more successful. Why? Because of God. If we are successful financially, it's God. I'm talking about as an individual. It's God. If we're successful in our jobs, it's God that's given us the success. The success. It's God. God controls your life and mine. He's sovereign. Now, the acceptance of this offering by the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem was important. Why? Because it would serve to build unity among Jewish and Gentile believers, and thus it would serve as a symbol of unity among believers. This prayer request was answered as we read in Acts chapter 21. Now in Romans 15.32 Paul expresses the ultimate goal of these two requests in Romans 15.31. Namely, that when he enters into the company of the Roman believers he will find rest for him. Look at verse 30. Romans 15.30, but near the end here. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Why? That I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Now, the next statement in verse 32, that's the ultimate, it's summing up, that's his ultimate goal. It's the ultimate purpose for why he wants them to pray. And he says in verse 32, so that I might come to you with joy. Why would he be happy? I did what God asked me to do. I fulfilled what God asked me to do. Now I can rest. Do not, listen to me, Take the, the message from Paul. Do not rest till you do God's will. And when you do God's will, then you can find that joy. And then you will have that rest. But God gives us a job to do. And do it, and he will bless you with joy. Why? Knowing that you did what he asked you to do. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. Think of the joy we're going to have when we hear that. There is nothing in this world that you want to hear. Do not work and serve, love, give. With, for people, you do it under the Lord because you're, he's the one who ultimately you have to answer to people. I am going to answer to him. I am going to, and when, if he says, Bill, well, not well done, perfect servant, because everybody's infallible, including, and I, I, I am the worst of all sinners, the chief of all sinners. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Did you do the job God asked you to do? I'm not asking you to be perfect, but I'm asking you to stick it out, to grind it out, to be there day in and day out. Endurance, when we studied that earlier? Endurance, perseverance. Jesus likes that. He's into character. 
So Paul's saying, verse 32, so that I might come to you in joy. Joy, because I did the will of God. I delivered that gift. I fin- I, I've, teached the, I've taught the gospel to Jeru- from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Remember we studied that? Wow, 20 years he did all that. And then he's got this gift. He's going to deliver a token of unity and love between the two churches, Gentile and, and, Jeru- and Israel. Wow, that's done. Now I can rest. Because now I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to rest. You know, what, you know what happened? He got arrested in Jerusalem, as we read. And then he spent the next five years under house arrest. And then he finally gets to Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. But he found rest, though. He could sit there chained to a Roman soldier going, I've done God's will. I'm happy. I'm in Rome. Hi, everybody. He'd have his own rented quarters, as it says at the end of Acts 28. And he had taught the gospel while he was chained to a Roman soldier. He evangelized the entire Praetorian God, it says in Philippians. Why? Because the Roman soldiers, he wasn't, Paul wasn't their captive. They were his captive. They were chained to him. And what do you think he was going to do? Talk about the weather? (laughs) He's going to talk about Jesus. (laughs) I think that's hysterical. So, Romans 15.32 is a purpose clause that doesn't present two more requests that parallel the two in verse 31, but rather they express the ultimate goal of the two requests in Romans 15.31. Now, this this uh, interpretation is indicated by what Paul said in verses 24 through 28. Now, when he says... I may come to you in joy by the will of God. That indicates that the Father's sovereign will is the intermediate agency that the Father employs to determine when Paul arrives in Rome. Remember I told you earlier, God had, we have a call it a geographical will of God. God wants you in a certain place. When we study the book of Jonah in September, Joan, Jonah did not go to the right place. God told him to go to Assyria, Nineveh, he went the other direction. He went to Spain. <laughs> God said, uh-uh, you're coming back where I told you to come back. You're going to go, I'm, giving a, I'm going to take this whale and you're going to drive you right back into there, into, back into Assyria. That's exactly what he did. Jonah was out of the geographical will of God. Paul, in contrast, was in the geographical will of God. When he says, I may come to you enjoyed by the will of God, that indicates that the Father's sovereign will is the intermediate agency that the Father employs to determine when Paul arrives in Rome. Do you realize that you can do the will of God without with disobeying the will of God? Listen to that. You can do the will of God by not obeying him. How's that, Bill? What are you, crazy? Are you drinking up here? God has a directive will. God says, I want you to do this. God has a permissive will. He allows us to say no. <laughs> then he has an overruling will of God where he says, whatever bad decision you make, I'm going to overrule it. Remember Abraham and Sarah? He, they went to Egypt, and, and Abraham says, uh, she's not my wife because she, she's so beautiful. The Egyptians are going to murder me and take my wife. So to protect himself, he said, that's my sister, not my wife. So he basically made a bad decision. What did God do? He intervened, and he, and he, and he gave a plague to Pharaoh's house. And in a dream, he told him, get rid of don't Don't take her as your wife. That's Abraham's wife. So God overruled Abraham's bad decision. So note, why do I say that? to comfort you. Everything's under control. Everything we ever did, are going to do, and in the future, do, and are doing now, and have done, God already knew about. He already knew. How's that? He has all knowledge, people. He knows us better than ourselves. And finally, as we close, when he says, find refreshing rest in your company, that refers to Paul relaxing in the company of the Roman believers. When he's done the job, now he can finally relax. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us and encourage us with these things that we've heard this morning. Guide us, help us to follow the Spirit in guiding and applying these things in our very own lives so that we can bring glory to you, find peace and rest for our souls, and continue forward to growing to spiritual maturity. And we just, uh, we just at this time, lift up those who are unsaved that might be listening to my voice, whether in the, on, in the chapel or uh, on the internet or listening to this class at a later date, if you have, do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you that God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. For the Father did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now you have a volition of free will, and you can make that choice now. All it takes is one decision. And you can trust in Christ as your Savior. You can say to the Father in your own words, inaudibly, everybody is, has their head bowed and eyes closed. You don't 
you, you have privacy. And you could say to the Father, in your own words, I'm believing in your Son, Jesus Christ. And the moment you do that, you are in God's family and you're going to live with God forever. And if you would have died the, day, the moment you walk out of this chapel and get hit by a car, you would be absent from the body face to face with the Lord. It's that simple because Jesus did all the hard work. He took the nails. He took the spear, the crown of thorns. He took being vilified and spit on all because of you. Crucified and died for you. And if you were the only sinner on the earth, he would come for you. God loves the world, and he demonstrated at the cross. So will Jesus be your Savior, or will he be your judge? My prayer is that he be your Savior. The choice is yours. Father, we pray for all these things. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Could our uh, ushers come forward for the Sunday morning offering? And I'm going to set this up for you. Thank you. bow our heads in preparation for the offering. Father, we pray that this offering is given out of love and appreciation for you and your son, Jesus Christ, and all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you for those who take up part in giving, as well as those who continue to offer their time and talent to meet the needs of this ministry. Thank you for the blessings and answered prayers of this church, allowing us to meet our daily needs and to continue to provide the gospel message to the world. Thank you, Father, for those in our service this morning and for our extended congregation for their faithfulness and dedication to this ministry from around the world. In the name of our Lord and Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. When you're weary and feeling small Tears are in your eyes. I will dry them all. Home. I'm on your side. Oh, when times get rough and friends just. down and out When you're out on the street When evening falls so hard I will comfort you I'll take Silver girl, 
Zoom class is Sunday, August 8th. Have a great next couple of weeks. Thank you.